This is Tom Fox. Over the next several episodes, Professor Karen Woody and myself are going to take the Woody Report in a different direction. We're going to take a look at the great HBO series Succession Season 4. We're going to dissect it and give you the synopsis. And then Karen and I are going to talk about how it fits into the cultural milieu, what it means for securities law and other laws as the Logan family goes through its throes of whether to have succession or not. I know you'll enjoy this series. Today, Episode 7, Tailgate Party. This episode takes place at the apartment of Tom and Shiv. It's the night before the presidential election and the Roys host their traditional party for political insiders. Kendall and Roman hope to build an antitrust case against Gojo Acquisitions, but Shiv, who wants to preserve the deal, invites Matt into the party in hopes of thwarting her brothers. However, the siblings later learn that Matson has grossly inflated Gojo's subscriber numbers in India, which could create a fatal scandal for his company. Roman unsuccessfully attempts to convince Connor to drop out of the presidential race after his polling numbers draw support away from Mencken. Jerry refuses Roman's request to return to Waystar, having negotiated a hefty severance package, which she only wants increased. Tom is incensed by the rumors of his firing circulating at the party, which leads to a complete meltdown at the end of the episode with Shiv about their marriage. At the very end, Kendall proposes to Frank that Waystar buy Gojo with Kendall as sole CEO in a maneuver he calls the reverse Viking. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox back with Karen Woody to unpack our current favorite TV show of all time, Succession. Karen, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. I'm happy to be back. Karen, today it is episode seven, Tailgate, and certainly belying what fun you might have at a tailgate. I found this to be perhaps the most gut-wrenching episode since Kendall killed or engaged Mm. in action that led to the death of a boy in Scotland or a someone in Scotland, but this was just for me, absolutely gut wrenching on almost a genetic level. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack and there was everyone again acting at their worst again, but with such clear intent to just cut them to the core. Yeah. The person that I thought almost made a bit of a comeback in this episode was Connor and we can get into that in a little bit, but should we just start with Shiv and Tom? Okay, yeah, we'll start at the end. Okay, so (laughs) let's start at the beginning, though, because that, for me, set it up. And something happened in that scene that I directly pulled as a life experience. Shiv's in bed doing some reading or something, and Tom takes her some breakfast in bed with some polling numbers because it's the day before the election and with what he calls a little prezi. Uh, And that made me think I really irritate sort of baby talk among adults, but they seem to engage in it all the time. But anyway, what you and I might call a present, he called a Prezi. So Shiv opens the Prezi up and it is a scorpion smashed and put into, I guess, a paperweight. And Tom, I'm not sure if he thought it was a joke or he really sees his wife as a scorpion. 
I think that can be one interpretation. I thought, I, I thought a lot about that, but whether you agree with that or not, she did not like it. And it was clear immediately. She didn't like it. What were your thoughts on that first scene? Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't figure out if he really thought it was a joke or that joke that she would think was funny. I was, it fell so flat. And then it was just one of the many moments in this episode that was so cringe inducing because you watch him waffle and think this is funny, right? This is funny. And she's trying to still be kind, but not, not really, not really. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I wasn't totally sure if he meant it to be as cutting as I think she received it as in, in that way. And I think he says something like, it's funny. I love you, but you kill me and I kill you. That's the joke here. But given obviously the very recent history and the betrayals between both of them, I don't know how he thought at all that was not going to be a very significant sort of not funny gesture. I did that one time. I gave somebody a gift that I thought was humorous and it was not received in that vein. And it was in response to something I had done, which rated a, an apology and wasn't taken in that vein either. I really related to that scene. But then we moved to the preparations for the tailgate party, which is in Tom and Shiv's apartment. Mm -hmm. And Tom thanks Shiv for letting him host or co-host the event. This is clearly important to him. But I got intrigued by his whole dialogue with the staff around the wine to push. <laughs> and I thought that was just one more piece of evidence of his complete insecurity mm -hmm. and that if you want to be a social climber, what we used to call a gold digger, and that's your goal, that's what you do and be insecure about it. You say, here's my goal. I want money. I want power. I want to be near that. I want to be something. And you go out at that 110%, whether you call that the Duchess of Windsor or Meghan Markle and just accept it. But he is trying to convince the woman who's going to serve drinks to push a German wine, but don't call it German and don't show them the label. Uh, I don't want them to know it's cheap, but push it. So that I thought that was just a really interesting aside. It was a pull forward from something last episode where they got this wine. That, that definitely there was some reference to how this, it was to something earlier about how I think they've somehow had acquired all this one that isn't that good. And he knows it's not that good, but he's trying to get rid of it. I guess that was exactly your point, which is he's trying to pass it off as being decent and hoping that people will fall for it. But even he knows it's not great. What did you think about the brothers, co-CEO brothers strategy to kill the deal through the regulatory side of things? I thought that was an interesting play. <laughs> I guess they're trying to lean on either an antitrust or some other I just say regulatory block of this. And so that's why they have, they're very much leaning into Shiv's connections on the political front and even maybe some of the ATN connections to people in Washington or wherever that could potentially block this. It was a good play. It's not maybe a surefire strategy, as you can see from even recent headlines of how well the DOJ can handle some of those cases and whether they work or not. But I think it's, I think it's risky. I think it's risky because it's not a sure thing, as I said, but then it's also risky that they're out there saying that they're, that they're being even more overt or letting more people into their scheme in the way of trying to block this deal. But maybe that's self-evident at this point. Certainly after this episode, it seems that way between 
Kendall and Matson having words with each other that suggest that it's not all hunky-dory in this merger at all, or this sale, whichever it is, acquisition. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting play and seems like the next one in the playbook, but one that you're getting further away from what I think would be the successful ways to block it. Or am I wrong about that? The I was intrigued by the introduction or reintroduction of Nate and just his name, Tom's, the hair on the back of his neck seemed to bristle. And for those who don't recall, Nate's a former lover, co-worker, and friend of Shiv. And she was clearly close to him when she was in her political life. And that relationship changed a little bit. And Tom clearly does not want Nate around. And I tried to think about that through my lens. And frankly, I would take the position, she walked down the aisle with me. You may have been with her, but guess what? You know, she's not with you now. Maybe that's too parochial, but (laughs) he is really bothered by Nate. And I thought that was one more sign of his insecurity. And we can get to the whole Nate thing in a little bit. But what about Kendall and Roman? Do you see them going, even getting more, I don't want to say insane, but off the rails? Yeah. Individually, I think their performances in this episode suggest Roman in particular seemed to be kind of off the rails and you could see why, like Jerry puts him in his place, but the way he treats Connors inexcusable. Kendall seems in the beginning, like he's maybe got it together. He gives what seems like a composed sort of pitch to open the tailgate party. Even when Matson walks in right at the moment of silence for Logan, which was so almost over the top and how he still handles it. But I feel like Kendall is still, he's very still true to character in that he's not totally flipped, but he's, it's like some threads are coming loose. But Roman seems to just be still just a wild card, like making these sort of outlandish either statements or treatment of others that that Roman seems to me like he's a little, he's pretty far off, but yeah, I mean, it's, I guess they both pull it together and they talk to Eva outside and they try to get some dirt on her. There are some still sort of ways that they might be working in conjunction and can try to attempt to, to think strategically. All of those seem to keep falling on their face. They both, I think they're both, they both seem like they're, yeah, they're definitely under a lot of pressure, it seems, that's showing. So one, one scene I skipped was where Tom was going to terminate effective immediately, the entire ATN for a news corps. And at the last minute, he says, why don't you handle this, Greg? Right. And he gives Greg a script and he does it over Zoom. Frankly, I didn't, I was not surprised to see that. I've read about that happening over the past couple of years. It seems exactly in line with what ATN would do. But I guess what surprised me about that scene is now we flip to Matson and his little entourage, when Greg sits down with him and they just, they don't think anything of Greg, but they seem to respect him because he terminated those people. Uh, did you find that believable in any way? No, I think everyone's always mocking Greg someone, but that's definitely what Greg is trying to flex on, which is I can play tough. Not only that, listen to what I did. I actually think it was, I took that scene as like them having a moment of realizing that they're firing a lot of people. I feel like that was a little bit of intel as to the state mm. of affairs at ATN. And they're looking at him like, is that right? So that piqued their interest, not so much about Greg, but about you guys are doing mass layoffs. Like it was a like, 
interesting to hear. So that's how I took that. Maybe they know that from other sources or something, but I felt like it was Greg flexing, but then bumbling into things he maybe shouldn't be telling Mattson or, or making public. I wasn't sure. That's the first thought I had when I saw that. So in this, around the same scene, Matson completely belittles Eva. And I thought that was the, the second either worst scene or most cringy scene behind Tom and Shiv, but even ahead of Roman and Connor. I thought he completely belittled her in front of her coworkers at the party. I now believe she really is just, she has social anxiety. And you can almost see her cringe being at this party. And then he goes after her for that. Now, this is his head of HR, a clear corporate confidant, a lover, on and off, a blood receiver. <laughs> and I just thought that was one of the worst ways I've ever seen a boss treat someone. And yeah. she, she goes outside, and that's when Kendall and Roman come out there. And they basically try to apologize and ask how she is. And she said, whatever you think he did to me, it's not nearly as bad as some other stuff. And then she proceeds to tell them. But what I liked about that scene was when Kendall said, can I have a cigarette? And I went, it's over. <laughs> She's on team wake or Royce Royco now. And I thought it might lead to down the road somewhere, but. That was a brilliant move by Kendall, and I didn't know he had that kind of nuance in him. I thought he was, he didn't, he doesn't have his fa his father's ability to play the scene as it plays out. He has one way to do it, and he does it. Yeah, yeah, I thought that too. I thought it was a little obvious when he realizes that she's climbed up. She was going to stonewall them on the question that it was going nowhere, and that maybe she was going to tell them to leave. And so he tries to find the reason to stick around and have this sort of quasi however intimate it is to have a cigarette or light a cigarette for someone else. That kind of thing is he was definitely still playing into this. We're, we're the same. I'll have a cigarette with you. Let's, uh, let's not go back to our corners too quickly. But yeah. It was savvy in that way. I think. Yeah. And that led to the reveal that Gojo's numbers in India are not just a little off, not just a little inflated. They work if you have two Indias. Yeah. <laughs> And I think there's 3 billion people in India. So that's a lot of numbers. And that's a pretty material yeah. thing. Now, I would have assumed Waystar or Royco had done some sort of due diligence. And maybe they didn't. Maybe they didn't pick it up. Maybe it was hidden. But that seemed to be a fairly big piece of information that was given to Kendall and Roy. How did, how did you think it play, played out from there? Well, didn't we learn it from Eva and that scene, but then didn't we learn it either before or sometime around then of Matson telling Shiv the same thing? Like, the, I feel like that we learned that in two, from two places. I'm well, not with them in the room, but I can't recall if that's how that works. See, I, actually, I think Roman went to Shiv because Shiv had tried to ask Matson for a job earlier and he brushed her off. But now she's realizing that her position may be uh, very precarious if the deal doesn't go through and she sold her brothers out. Although I don't know why she thinks that they stab each other in the back all the time. But so I thought it was after she had made the pitch to Matson 
in the second time they were together. And I just have to give the shout out to whoever thought of the gold on my jacket. Brilliant. <laughs> loved it. I don't think I could pull it off, but I loved it. But what did you think of his response? Is that just what corrupt CEOs say? Yeah, got a, just an algorithm problem. It's a major algorithm problem. I actually thought <laughs> that was such a, that, that's such a huge, maybe because I'm just seeing this through our attorney lens, our due diligence, you know, people who have to run down all the reps and warranties are are from our old lives when we were doing those things when there's a significant M&A deal or whatever the reason I thought that was huge and I think it gives enough leverage I would think to Roman and Kendall to walk away that's a material misrepresentation so I thought that was huge so the idea that he's sloughing off seemed crazy to me I was like that's the whole ball game and it's what prompts I think Kendall in the end is decide that maybe we take as he says, the reverse Viking and go, we gobble up Gojo and we do this, we go on the offense here because it's a big deal. I don't even know if he'd want to do that without doing really peeling back what really is going on in that company. But yeah, that was huge. I thought, I did not think that was worthy of just like shrugging off. Let's go back to Nate because I was really intrigued. Kendall makes a pitch to Nate, which basically says you get the regulatory wheels clogged up and we'll scratch your guys back for a hundred days. And Nate said something I was completely not expecting. He comes back later and says, look, I am not comfortable in the way this conversation's going. I'm going to leave. And I can't remember what Kendall says, but Nate says, I'm not Gil and you're not your father. And I absolutely love that. And I wonder if Kendall has that self-awareness that it's literally not Gill and Logan and one, it can't be, but it's not. And Kendall will never, not to say he's not a brilliant person or can't be at that level, but he will never be his father. And I just thought that was a really insightful point. I've seen some debate as to whether that was meant as a cut, whether it meant as a compliment, but I certainly took it as uh, absolutely correct. And that, Things were different now. Two days after your dad died, Kendall, you need to wake up and be aware of this new reality. Yeah, it's yet another time someone has pointed out to one of the children that they are not their father. We saw that last episode with Jerry saying that to Roman. And Nate says it here, but Nate says it in a totally different tone. And I think the line he says after that of you're not Logan and that he's not his predecessor, he says, and that's a good thing. Like he's trying to say- we can do better. We don't have to be this shady, the horse trading and all this sort of back room. He's saying, I'm going to have a little more integrity. And that is the way we should go. Like you should not be your father. And you know what, Kendall, you're also, you're better than this too, is how I understood that. So I thought that was an interesting spin on what is, I think the theme for a lot of these, which is none of you are Logan Roy and none of you can be. And maybe as Nate's saying here is maybe that's great. That's probably for the best that we're not doing the old, don't going through emotions in the way the old guard would have, because it was pretty corrupt. (laughs) Let's go over to Connor, because the polling is showing that the conservative candidate who Royko is backing may be falling behind, and they want Connor to drop out because they believe, however small, he will draw votes away from him or the conservative candidate to his libertarian platform. And so they asked Roman to get him to drop out. And Connor sensing an opportunity says, 
okay, game on, let's negotiate. And in a show like this, if you play, if you had straight comedy, it wouldn't work. But I thought those scenes with Connor were the most comedic and they were played straight. Uh, and uh, Mogadishu, he rejects out of hand. <laughs> it's too many car bombs. Yeah. But then we move to Oman. <laughs> and, his, and he's explaining to his wife, don't worry, there's a bunker and everything. <laughs> and she wants to know, will we be living above ground? Yeah. Then they move to, he, he wants to go to a place. He has to go to a country where they have nuclear weapons. And that's a officially a fairly limited number. You have to assume he's not going to go to India, Pakistan, places that have acknowledged it, South Africa, Israel, maybe. But the United Kingdom has them, China has them, we have them, Russia has them. And they propose he start in what used to be a state of Yugoslavia. And I think they started with Slovenia. And he immediately picks up on this because he sees this as the road to Berlin. And... That was actually how Winston Churchill saw World War II going, that we're going to invade through Greece and up through Yugoslavia, and that was how they're going to hit the soft underbelly of Germany. So I don't know if it's a reference to that or not, but that whole series of scenes with Connor, I thought was just hilarious. Oh, yeah. He says Slovenia, Slovakia, something, and then he just goes, no, it's a no on the slows. <laughs> Anything <laughs> slow. I mean, it was just... It was actually, I thought, so it was so funny, but then also a little gross because you're like, I really hope this isn't actually how these things work. But you know that in some aspect, it does. You just really do hope they have a little more background or expertise on the country. But a lot of times it is just some horse training, some favor, some donor to a particular campaign that makes you like, oh, makes me cringe for my our diplomatic core in some ways. So the meltdown Roman has, I thought that was cringe-worthy moment number three. And no one had gone after Connor quite like that in any of these seasons. They've said lots of things about him, and certainly Logan did. But he even goes after his wife. And I thought Connor actually, what led to that, whole blow up was Connor saying, no, I'm going to vote for democracy and I'm going to let it play out and I'm going to let the people decide. And he didn't say it, but if I get my 1%, I get my 1%. If I get 5% in Alaska, I get 5% in Alaska. And he goes after, Roman goes after Connor. Then he goes after the wife and Connor just calmly stands up and says, I've made my mind up. Do not insult the woman I love and we're going to leave. And that may be the strongest I have seen Connor. Yeah, I agree. And even Willa, in some way, who starts to stand up to Roman and in some way, acknowledging that this is not okay, the way he's treating Connor. Yeah, it was a breath of fresh air, given how much Connor is just a punching bag for so many of these scenes and certainly for these relationships. So it was nice to have him have a little bit of a backbone and be like, this is out of control. This is, you can't treat me like that. So I like that scene. I agree with you. I really like the scene with Jerry. I don't know what inch size heels she was wearing, but she <laughs> appeared to me to be six or seven feet tall and almost <laughs> towering over Connor. So let's set this up for our listeners. They're both getting a drink or she's getting a drink and he wanders up next to her and he tries to apologize, but not really. And she will have 
none of it. She said the lawyers are involved, but there's a couple of other things that I thought were best said personally. And she proceeds to tell him that all those pictures he sent will be released to the public if she doesn't get what she wants. And I love it. She wants money that's going to make her cry. That's <laughs> how much she wants. And I just thought that was great. And she played that, I thought, perfectly. Yeah. She really did. I also liked how she ended it because it was even more damning than I think what she was saying in the threat, which was her line saying, I could have gotten you there. I could have made, I could have made you what you wanted, essentially. And that, I think, is partly why Roman then, I think it's in the next scene, he goes and hauls off on Connor and flies off and as mean as he is to Connor because he's just, I think he's flooded by the Jerry comment. And then I think everyone in this episode is starting to be curious if they've either picked the wrong horse or made some poor choices. Shiv, certainly, even Roman in some ways, because Jerry maybe will come out with what she wants in some ways. Matson and Kendall maybe obviously on the deal. So yeah, there it's a lot of revealing things that make people have second thoughts. <laughs> so the meltdown, or rather the line you said where I could have gotten you where you wanted. I thought it was just brilliant because to me, it showed the entire scope of the dynamic between those two. Whatever Jerry thought of Roman, she saw something in him. She was not simply willing to support him, but she wanted to support him. I don't think it was as a son. I don't think it went to that maybe as a protege, but she clearly saw something there and something that she was willing to be a part of. And he mistook that for some other emotional feeling. And whether it's because of his psychological makeup, he just needs 65 year old woman telling him what to do or what. But I thought that line, and as you said, it was absolutely brilliant. He completely missed the boat on that. Yeah. We talked about the Tom and Shiv meltdown. Kendall pulls Frank in, not as CEO to board chair. No, this <laughs> is Kenny and Frankie. And that's when the reverse Viking comment comes. Right. On the one hand, can't you have a dialogue? Certainly, it can't be illegal to explore options, even if. At this point, it's not clear what is in the best interest of the shareholders or if the proposed option is not in the best interest. Surely you can at least pose that question and reject it, can't you? Yeah, I don't, I don't think there. It's a question, I guess, at some point of the materiality of the probability versus magnitude kind of discussion. Listen, we're not going anywhere yet. We're just we're thinking about this, maybe even talking to the counterparty. Like even at that point, at what point do you need to disclose any of that? It gets... That gets into sort of the classic materiality question. But no, I think it's fine for him to strategize with Frank on that, to maybe feel out maybe if they should, yeah, not go forward with the way it is structured as it is now. And he says, let's just, let's gobble him up instead of the other way around. And um, I thought it was certainly a fair point to say, this is a cash and stock deal. Their stock is worth one third or one half or three quarters of what they say it is. That's a material fact that we need to put out to our people. So I thought that was within the realm of something that could and should be said. I think that's great. 
typically we try to talk about some of our favorite lines. And I have to say, I couldn't really focus on any single line like I was from other shows. There were lines. Mm -hmm. There was certainly dialogue. The whole Tom Shiv was just gut-wrenching. And the things that they said to each other. But there was, Matson sent a text, I think, about why he wasn't coming before Shiv called and told him, you need to be here. That was pretty profane-laced as well. So I guess maybe what were some of your final thoughts? And I'm beginning to wonder if the funeral is going to be the last episode. I think it must be at this point. There's so many things to, to wrap up. And yeah, that makes the most sense that it would be the final episode, but you never know. This show loves to surprise us all the time and have to do things completely out of order that we don't expect. I, I think some of the lines, like I said, that I we've heard were good. It wasn't as the usual hysterical zingers, a little bit with Conagher. Some of that was because we didn't see a lot of Greg. He usually lands a lot of those lines. I did think that some of the like important lines, I think we're, we've already discussed a lot of them, like Jerry saying these things and the comments between Nate and Kendall, all these you're not Logan comments. But I did think Kendall's comments at the end about even with Frank is what about your siblings? And he says something like, I love them, but I'm not in love with them. And he says, one head, one crown is I think how he ends either that discussion or brings it. And I thought that is, that's a pretty major shot across the bow, especially because in theory, he's still co-CEO or co whatever he is with Roman. They just rejects that and, and, in theory, just out of hand by saying one head, one ground. And so I think we'll see maybe where that's the direction maybe Kendall's going to go. And we'll be back to where we started, which is all the the kids fighting among themselves for the power. But I think that'll be interesting to see. I think I've read a lot about Tom is now so gone for broke that maybe he is one of the most ruthless characters in because he's literally nothing left to lose. He's played nice through all of this and now... Maybe he would, he doesn't have any, like I said, nothing up to lose makes someone a fairly dangerous character, potentially. I don't know if I totally believe that. I don't know if his characters could pull a lot of that off, but we saw that at the end of last season. Like no one thought Tom was going to be the betrayer, but yeah. So I think it'll be really interesting to see where this goes in the last few episodes and what they do with Matson and what they end up doing with the funeral. I guess there was one particular set of lines from the Tom Shiv that I wanted to play with, which was, Tom says, you shouldn't be a mother. And in my book, that's about the worst and meanest and ugliest thing you can say to a woman. But that's not the first time Shiv has heard that. Her mother said that to her. And I guess I'd really never thought, but maybe some women shouldn't be mothers. And, but for Tom to say that, and I've really thought Shiv was going to say, and then we'd have some big reveal that would lead somewhere, and we didn't. I know. And I, I suppose we should have mentioned that the present that started all of this was given after a night of raucous sex, and I still can't believe somebody hasn't noticed there's physical changes to her body that would lead one to ask a question or two. Right. But she still hasn't revealed that. And now I'm beginning to question my own sanity. Am I in a Twin Peaks dream that I dream <laughs> that she's pregnant? Because I just can't believe she's holding on to that. There, it, there has to be a reason for it. And these screenwriters are fabulous. I'm sure they have a reason. But what did you think of that line when Tom delivers it? Was it as 
cutting as biting as I felt it was? It was brutal. And you can see how it lands differently because she's pregnant. It's already a terrible thing to say. It is such a perfect use of the audience knowing that fact and how much that everyone's gasped. If she weren't pregnant, we'd be like, God, that's real. That's not a nice thing to say, obviously, which is, I think, what she says, that's not nice. Or she says some sort of not as mean line in response. That's not a nice thing to say. We all sort of gasped because we're like, oh man, he's going to really be eating those words in a few months or whatever. But I do also, to your other point, I think this really, is, in theory, I don't know how this is totally possible, but I think all these are really effectively like back-to-back days like they keep referencing like my dad only died a few days ago but they there's a lot that still happened but i think in theory she's just still now 20 weeks like we're not at 26 i think it's like we're still in this weird time bubble but nevertheless yeah it those it was so brutal to watch and they both said the meanest things they really they know each other well enough i think this is the case with every long relationship is that person well enough to know what will what will just destroy them and they they both have no no holds back they don't hold back on that like tom being a hick tom being social climber is not worth anything he's not good enough ever for shiv and then him throwing back at her that i'm sorry logan never approved of you and then the line from his mouth it was just like a hit after hit of like how low can you go yeah so on the I agree on the days. First of all, Logan's still, quote, above ground, unquote. So unless they've got him embalmed like mousy tongue, they need to do something pretty quick. I thought it it was day-to-day until they went to Norway because I don't think you can physically fly and have a full day and then fly back. I thought it was at least a couple of days, but it ain't many days, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, so three episodes left. I've... I'm almost sorry that I'm doing this once a week because I just can't stand to wait for the next episode. It's so I good. I guess until next week in episode until eight. Until next right? week again, Tom. Thanks again. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of Succession Season 4 as much as Carrie and I enjoyed recording it and bringing it to you. We're doing every episode uh, on a weekly basis after the episode premieres on Sunday night. So I hope you will join in again next week where we take up the next episode of Succession. The Woody Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.